kids, come on up here for a second. I'm going to show you something. I want to show you one of my favorite presents I ever got for Christmas. All right, you ever seen one of these? This is a GAF Viewmaster. Yeah, one of my favorite, one of the most favorite things I ever got for Christmas. You look into it and you turn the, and you see pictures. I'll take a look. Oh, now there's one thing you need for this. You know what you need for it to work? Yeah, yeah. Someone else said that at the earlier service. You need the disc inside. What else? What? Eyes. Yeah, you need eyes to look through it. What else? Yeah, you need light. You have to point it at light in order to see anything. Go ahead, try it. What do you see? Yeah, you see Mary, Joseph, and baby Jesus, huh? And you know what the cool thing is? It's in 3D, too. Yeah, you know, they make a big deal about 3D these days. We had it in my day, too. Point at that light there or that light. See it? Yes. Point it up at the light. Ah, that's better, huh? Okay. No, don't, don't change the picture. You know what? We also need light, too. Because in the dark, this thing doesn't work. And sometimes when we're in the dark, we need light, too. Right? We can't yeah. see. Yeah. And we need the light. And Jesus is the light. Did you know that? He shines a light in our darkness. Sometimes we live in darkness, right? Bad things might happen around us. We feel bad about things. But we can always remember that Jesus is the light for us. And he forgives our sin. And he can shine a light in our darkness. Why did I do the light candle? The white candle? Well, because it's Christmas Eve. And this is like the only day when we light that white candle. So you're really lucky to be here today. Well, if you've got time to watch movies around Christmas, chances are it's one of those feel-good holiday movies, especially if it's on the Hallmark Channel, right? But do you know what the, one of the original feel-good Christmas stories is? Any guesses? What? I see a hand back there. Somebody say Scrooge? Yeah, that's it. You got it. That is like the original feel-good Christmas story. Because it's designed to make you feel good at the end because Scrooge's demons finally get exercised by the ghosts, right? And he becomes a good and generous man, completely the opposite of what he was. And everyone lives happily ever after. One of the first feel-good Christmas stories. But Charles Dickens wrote another novel. In fact, it's the best-selling novel of all time. And while it's not a Christmas story... It does begin with these famous lines many people feel like around Christmas. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of unbelief. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. We had everything before us. And we had nothing before us. You know which book this comes from? Yeah, I heard it. A Tale of Two Cities. When I was younger, I I used to hear these words often because they would pop up all the time in, in pop culture. And I used to think how ridiculous they sounded. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Well, which is it? It can't be both. Stupid sounding poetry, I thought. But that was before I understood contrasts and how two things which seem opposite of each other 
can actually exist at the same time. Christmas is a time of contrasts. It's a time of prosperity and a time of poverty. It's a season of generosity and a season of greed. Christmas is a time of family togetherness and a time of loneliness. It's a season of light and a season of darkness. Christmas is the spring of hope and the winter of despair. Don't get me wrong. We all want Christmas to be the best of times. That's why we decorate and donate and shop and want things. We put up trees and hang decorations, cook turkeys and hams, and put together all kinds of toys. But as much as we want Christmas to be the best of times, it can be the worst of times. The reading for this evening from Isaiah, the one I read to you a little while ago, you know, it kind of resonates with a tale of two cities. The prophet's message is also one to two cities and one of contrasts. It was the season of light and the season of darkness for Isaiah. The people who walked in darkness, those who lived in a land of deep darkness, well, these people lived in the land of Naphtali and Zebulun, which is right near the Sea of Galilee. You know, it's right where all that stuff in the Bible happened, right around that area. You can go there and see it today. But going way back in time, Zebulun and Naphtali were two people. They were two of Jacob's 12 sons who went down to Egypt where, along with their brothers, became a great nation of their own. Now, we're not talking millions of people here, probably, more like several thousand. But after 430 years in Egypt, they moved with the rest of the Hebrew people to the promised land near the Sea of Galilee and the Jordan. Fast forward 700 years to Isaiah's time, the Assyrians attacked the northern cities of Israel, including Zebulun and Naphtali, and destroyed them, wiped them out. It was the worst of times. The few who survived, the remnant, walked in darkness as prisoners in someone else's land of darkness and despair. We're blessed to live in a nation that hasn't been run over by another nation. We used to think that would happen. We even armed ourselves for it. Even making weapons so destructive, it would ensure no one dare even make the first move or they themselves would be wiped out in the process. But even if we Christians today can't relate to the sufferings of our predecessors in Israel in those dark times so long ago, we nonetheless know about deep darkness, don't we? Some of us are broke, worrying about our financial future. Some of us have broken bodies or know someone who's suffering with ill health, wondering if this might be their last Christmas. Some of us are wrestling with old hurts that just won't heal. And others are missing loved ones this Christmas, either because of distance or because of death. Most of us know John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his, that whoever believes in him will but have eternal life. That's right. You all know it. John 3.19, however, is a little less famous, but just as important. 
goes like this. This is the judgment. Light has come into the world, but people love the darkness more than the light because their deeds were evil. What a contrast, huh? And it's true that both exist at the same time. Jesus is the light that shines in the darkness, but so many people love the darkness instead. Thankfully, though, that's not the end of the story. God isn't satisfied to just leave it at that. In fact, he did incredible signs and wonders centuries before he sent his son Jesus to be born on earth. He made smaller lights shine before the big light shone. And here's just a couple of them. Gideon. Ever heard that name? Remember your Old Testament Sunday school days? With God at his right hand, his puny army of 300 men defeated 120,000 enemy soldiers, the Midianites. This is how it's described in Judges chapter 7. Grasping the torches in their left hand and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow, they shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. 300 torches. That's a lot of light. King Josiah of Israel marched north with the burning torch of God's scroll, the word of God. In 2 Kings chapter 23, it says, A lamp to his feet and a light to his path. Through God's word, Josiah, he reclaimed Zebulun and Naphtali from the Assyrians. And in the process, got the remnant of people back on track with worship and and their faith, renewed faith in God. Another great light in the darkness. But the greatest light had yet to appear. To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, in case there's any confusion with some other God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Majesty in the middle of the mundane, Holiness in the middle of manure, Divinity entering the world on the floor of a stable through the womb of a young virgin girl. Jesus is the light that took on flesh so that he might take you into his arms, heal your hurts, forgive your sins, and destroy your darkness. God took on flesh of a human being, our flesh, not to show how much, not to show the world how cute a baby is, or how innocent-looking a baby is, but in order to live the life we could not live and die our death so we need not die. No wonder, then, that in the Nicene Creed we declare, to, we declare together on Sundays, we declare to the whole world, with all our sisters and brothers ruled over, young and old, who believe that Jesus is light of light. Nobody at the 3 o'clock service got that. And I threatened them all with going to confirmation again. (laughs) God of God, light of light, very God of very God. Now, let me go back to those other two lights here for a sec that I mentioned earlier. Gideon, he won the victory because of God. But those 300 torches eventually burned out. And later his son Abimelech overthrew him. And the people worshipped Baal, a a lifeless statue with eyes that couldn't see and ears that couldn't hear and a mouth that couldn't speak. 
with Josiah, his light burned out when he was killed by Pharaoh Necho at the Battle of Megiddo. Would the light of Jesus burn out as well? Would the betrayal by Judas, the blood and the burial and the final curtain call for him be his, the end of his light? Not on your life, because your life depends on him. And he has promised to remain faithful to you and to me and to do it. To bring us to eternal life on the new earth. And that's good news, my friends, on this Christmas Eve. We only need here the prophecy again from Isaiah to remind us of the increase of his government and of peace. There will be no end. No end. The grave held Jesus for three days. Now he's alive and with us. His promises are sure and his light continues to shine and will forever. There will be no end for his love for you and the whole world. Millions of people are traveling around Christmas holiday by airplane to be with family and friends for the occasion. 116 years ago, the first successful flight of an airplane happened on the Atlantic shores of North Carolina. And as big a deal as that was, it was practically overlooked in a couple of days after it had happened. After Orville and Wilbur Wright made that famous first flight, they had to walk four miles to the nearest telegraph to send the news. And they sent a brief message to their father and sister in Dayton, Ohio, saying, and this is all, this is all it said on the telegram, successful flight, 57 seconds against 21-mile-per-hour 20 winds. Tell the newspapers, be home for Christmas. But when their father and sister took the telegram to the newspapers in Dayton, nobody wanted to run the story. In fact, one newspaper editor said, well, if the flight had been 57 minutes, then maybe we'd have a story. It wasn't until Orville and Wilbur came home that they went to the newspapers and said, look, guys, we've got the story here. How often does the world miss the big news at Christmas? You know, I won't belabor you with that tired old dilemma of Christmas surrounded by too much commercialism and materialism. You are all very well aware of that, and I am too, because we live it. It's just the reality that so many people miss the big news that God took flight and traveled to earth from heaven to be our Savior and King. Whether tonight is for you the best of times or the worst of times, the spring of hope or the winter of despair, or both, the birth of Jesus announced by Isaiah, witnessed by the shepherds, and marveled at by the Magi, gives us good news of great joy. We who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. It shines on us this very night. Amen.